On today's brand new podcast, I'm talking with Fail Better Training founder and mental performance coach, Ashley Kucher. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the podcast, competitor. Jake Thompson here, your Chief Encouragement Officer. And today we're talking about failure, we're talking about resilience, we're talking about identity, and what the power is in I am statements and I can statements. I had a great conversation with Ashley today. She is the founder, as I shared, of Fail Better Training, just a phrase I love, learning how to fail better in life because it is an inevitable part of the road to success. She is a UT grad, she is finishing up her doctorate right now, and she's just an all-around awesome individual who I had a chance to connect with in person last month at Darren Roberts, Coach DKR, if you know him and follow him online, Uh, his event in Austin, Insurrection, where he and I talked about launching businesses, scaling businesses from five to six to seven figures. We did it all. We had a great weekend in Austin. If you're not following Coach DKR, I want to recommend you check it out because we will definitely be doing another event in the future. And I am always going to be there supporting my man because he does phenomenal work helping others to compete, to show up, to build their best career, to build their best life. Ashley and I have a fun conversation. And before I introduce it to you, I want to remind you to join the new competitor nation at community.competeeveryday.com. You can join for free, get connected with other people. You'll have your very own app on your phone. You don't have to hop on Facebook. You don't have to hop on Twitter to connect and engage with other people like you listening to the podcast, asking questions, getting coached, helping each other get better. So we start achieving things. We start setting the example for those in our lives. We start inspiring those people watching us because make no mistake, people are watching you. And they want to see how you respond to adversity, how you show up and compete, and when you do fall short, when you fail, how you get up and go again. And that leads me into today's conversation. So let's kick it off. Let's get going. Let's talk about how we fail better with Ashley Kucher. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. I'm super happy to be here. Like for so, reals, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm stoked we got to meet, uh, what, like a month ago at uh, Darren Roberts' event, Insurrection, down in Austin. Uh, I had a chance to have some FaceTime. I know we had connected prior online uh, after kind of learning a little bit about each other. So it was a great chance to, to connect there. Um, I don't hold it against you that you're a Longhorn um, by any means. Uh, but we love Austin, Texas. We love the food, the music, the scene there. Um, so we do share that in common, as well as just a love of mental performance and skills. And so as we kick off today, because I know this is kind of your brand, I'm curious what it means to you to fail better. That's a great question. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for asking it. So the first uh, kind of understanding is that failure is part of life, right? 
and especially in a sports context, mistakes, setbacks. I mean, it happens literally all the time. Every single play, someone's messing up. And so we need to understand that that's, you know, the reality. And so we want to use that to our advantage and think, how can I get better from these learning opportunities, as you often call them? Um, and there's a few different ways that we can fail better. The first thing is we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge the situation. We need to acknowledge what happened. Or maybe I'm not shooting great. Um, acknowledge how it's affecting me, right? I might be feeling frustrated. Next, we need to understand that mistakes and setbacks are part of life and, and part of sports. We're not alone in that, you know, best best athletes in the world uh, struggle sometimes. We got to boost ourselves up, encouraging, right? We, we play our best when we feel our best. So how can we encourage ourselves? Then we have to adjust. What can I change? What can I improve on? How can I learn from this? And so that would be, if I could put that into a little nutshell, it would be that. It's acknowledging the mistake and progressing forward. So why do you think a lot of times we struggle to acknowledge those mistakes? Yeah. Or we look for someone else to blame? Yeah. So typically, right, it doesn't feel good to fail. <laughs> and yeah. often it, it sinks us right into shame. And so a big um, kind of missing piece in, in, I think, a lot of mental performance is we go make the mistake. Well, I just got to change. Like, what do I need to adjust? But we miss this whole middle portion of what about all these negative emotions that I'm feeling or the embarrassment or the fear of failure? And if we don't know how to manage that, that emotional reaction, then we we don't want to acknowledge the mistake because it hurts. It's painful. And so there's a lot of avoidance there or on the flip side, like massive, harsh criticism, right? Yeah. And, and that, but my question, so let me ask you on that note, because I think fear of criticism is one of the biggest things that talk most people out of things. Yeah. What's kind of that first step to move past it? Maybe mm -hmm. internally, maybe getting over what, I mean, because I would imagine a lot of the things and normally, so a lot of the cr criticism we worry about taking on never actually comes up. It's like the boogeyman that's under our bed. We are afraid it's there, but it's not actually there. Right. Yeah. So what's so, one of the first things, yeah, you would recommend of like putting that ego aside to, to not worry as much about the criticism? Because I, I feel like if you're going to do something, you're going to get criticized regardless. Right. I think something that is, is, is really helpful is again, that this understand, like you're not alone. No one enjoys criticism. And if we can come to that acceptance piece or that mindfulness piece of it happens and this is the way we improve, then it makes it a little bit easier to take. The other thing that's going to make it easier to acknowledge our mistakes is if we have tools to work with the emotions that come with it. If, if I have no belief that I can work through those emotions, then I'm, I'm never going to want to accept the criticism because the, the fear is overwhelming of that thing, right? Of making that mistake or of the harsh criticism. So I think um, like understanding you're not alone is, is probably a big piece that it's, it's part of how we learn. And it, it seems like they kind of intertwine, but learning how to deal with it is going to help you deal with it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's learning, getting the reps of dealing with that process is what makes you better. It's like everybody wants to be more confident, but aren't doing the reps to be more confident. So you're right now, you're almost done with your doctorate. Uh, I know you're pursuing this path. You've got fail better training. 
what inspired you to kind of go the mental performance route? Was there something you struggled with? Is it kind of something you observed from the side? What kind of inspired this career path for you? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I grew up playing sports, um, lots of different sports, but basketball was my main thing. And although I excelled as an athlete and as a student and, and still do, uh, I would have been way better if I knew how to handle my emotions. So I was, you know, big suppressor of emotions. I was very, very hard on myself, very perfectionistic, which is pretty normal for a lot of athletes, especially elite athletes. And so I think even though I was succeeding, uh, it was such an emotional roller coaster, especially I think in college where it's uh, competition is a bit higher and there's a lot of pressures and it's, it's your day-to-day grind. So it, it really took an emotional toll on me. And once I learned a couple tips and I saw how helpful it was, I, I latched onto it. And it really does feel like this is my life. My life purpose is how can I help athletes overcome some of these barriers that, you know, have people, they stop playing sports because of that, or, you know, it, it can stop us from reaching our goals. So, so let, let me ask you, what was, what was a big turning point for you? Like, what was the mental skill that like, once you started learning was the game changer, like at least in your own journey? Yeah, definitely. So in college, I took a class called stereotyping and compassion. And we first were, I was, that was when I was first introduced to mindfulness. And for me, it was specifically this idea that a mistake was just a data point. It didn't have to mean all this other stuff. You know, if I was missing shots, it didn't mean I was a terrible athlete or person. It was like, you're just missing some shots. So what are you going to do about it now? So that was my first, you know, insight. Then the second was learning about this idea of self-compassion. And we treat ourselves way harsher than we treat others. And when I had that perspective shift of if one of my good friends was struggling, I wouldn't walk up to them and be like, well, you're just terrible. <laughs> you're an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I have no problem saying that to myself. <laughs> yeah. So once I had that perspective shift, I-, I was hooked. So how did you, so I'm curious because I know a lot of people listening just based on emails and stuff I've gotten, they struggle with that inner critic. And, and I've recommended a number of books. John Acuff's Soundtracks is a great book on that. Um, there's a handful of others, but for you personally, what was one of the ways you learned to kind of shift that internal dialogue in your head, especially while you were just going through life and playing or struggling and, and you would kind of lean back into old habits. What did you kind of do either physically or from a mental focus standpoint to start to reset that? I love this question because this was also a big shift for me because my inner critic was so loud. I didn't know I had another voice. I didn't know I also had an inner coach because it's never speaking up or I didn't listen to it at least. So one thing that has been massively helpful for me is this understanding that our inner critic is trying to help us. It's just doing a bad job. So if we think about physical threats, if a bear is chasing me, I want to fight, flight, and freeze. But if we think about failure as an internal threat, we have the same response, fight, flight, freeze. So it's it's in an attempt to protect us. It's just that getting stuck in a negative thought loop beating myself up or running actually isn't productive. So that was helpful for me. I didn't have to battle my inner critic. I could say, hey, thanks for trying to help me, uh, but I need to listen to this other voice now rather than giving into my thoughts or trying to just suppress it. So that was a really big thing for me. 
Um, the other thing in terms of actual actions was sometimes I have to let my inner critic run wild and I would write out everything I was thinking. And writing is important because you get to see the process. So actual writing, not like actual just writing, writing it out, like letting it go. Okay. Yeah. Letting, like letting it out because at some point you realize this is ridiculous <laughs> and you can see how extreme our inner critic goes. And so once, like I mentioned, I was a suppressor. Once I could let it go, then it made space for me to hear this other voice that said, I don't believe that, but here's what you can take from it. And here's how you can move forward. Love it. Well, how, how has that writing process been for you? I know a lot of people, they don't write, like they hate to write. Yeah. I love it because like, especially when you write down like fears, it's a little bit different perspective looking at it on paper, or you start to evaluate it in a different standpoint of like, how will I respond to this? But sometimes like when I talk to clients about that internal dialogue, like they either a don't take the time to write it down. You're like, Oh yeah. Or I think maybe they're afraid to see it on paper. Is there a part of that part of truth to that? Are we afraid to sometimes see what's going on in our head, but what's the upside? I mean, there's a huge upside if we actually write it down. Right. Yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, if we, if we don't like to write, I do enjoy writing. You can also talk it out. You can get the same kind of third party perspective. So when I work with athletes, when I work with teams, I have them write down first and then they talk about it with their teammates and just seeing their faces when they know they're about to have to talk to their teammates about how they, you know, what their inner, inner dialogue is like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a way to kind of keep it objective and so I think there's probably various avenues to do that, but there's definitely something to be said to write it down, to say it out loud to another human, to see what it really is. So question along those lines and, and just the internal dialogue and critic, how long ago did you launch Fail Better? So it's been part of my dissertation. Yep. So I've been, I mean, working on it for a while. I started working with teams a year ago. So okay. it was when I, my first team was last February. And then just in the last month had more official launch where we have, you know, monthly webinars and things like that. So it's pretty fresh. Well, and, and the, there's a couple of reasons I'm bringing that up. One, one of the people on your team, Lanny Silversides, mm -hmm. uh, has been on our Raising Competitors Parents podcast before. And so I had a really cool conversation with her that we'll plug in here to the show notes and, and some of the work she's doing. And I thought, oh, that's a cool small world. Yeah. But two, the reason I ask is usually when we're early into a launch, we're year one, year two, heck, even year 10 for some of us, we have this idea of not being there where other people were trying to learn from are. And we have to deal with that inner critic sometimes. And, and it can quiet itself while we're doing the work with people. But when we're trying to think of content and market ourselves and, and you know sell our business, it can seep back in. So what are some things maybe you and your team have been intentional about in terms of using more of a yet mentality than, uh, you know, we're, we're not there yet. We're not there. We're not that level. We're not that person. Yeah, that is also a great question. <laughs> um, I think part of it has been, it's been a little bit of a slower launch, right? Because this has been part of my dissertation. I've done a lot of work, you know, with teams and, and development for free, uh, where we're at this point now, we're still, we're just learning so much, you know, um, I've been working on my PhD, been teaching, been coaching, and also learning about entrepreneurship. So I think the biggest thing is ha having a team to support each other. 
and Lonnie has some experience, right? She has her nonprofit, Strong Girls United, which is amazing. So she has a lot of experience there. My other colleague, Danae, she's getting her master's. So I think maybe even just being a part of this work and, the, and this team is we, we take things as it comes. We know where we want to go and we know we're going to find a way to get there. Sometimes things just take a little bit longer and that's okay. I love it. I love it. Well, and it's, we live in such a society that's pressing to get it done. Now we got to have that Amazon prime delivery. And what do you mean? You've been at this for 15, 20 years or even two years and you're not there. We have a very poor perception of what goes into building a business and, and growing and launching. And so I always love to hear it from the mental performance coach side, because for a lot of us, sometimes we struggle to to do the work that we know and can help others do really well. Like we all, that's kind of human nature. We have, we even know it too. We're like, oh yeah, but I know what you should do. Like that's just kind of us. And so it's always helpful to hear that. So now I want to kind of go back to this concept of failing better and the idea of, you know, writing down these inner thoughts when they get negative, being okay and understanding failure is a science experiment. It's a, it's a point of data. That's one of the biggest ones for me of, of what has changed my mentality on a lot of things over the years is looking at it as a hypothesis, data, what worked, what didn't versus failure, who I am, this sucks. So let me ask you with a lot of the athletes you coach, because I, I'm sure similar to maybe what you went through or maybe not, there's a, a challenge in us getting our identity wrapped up in what we do, whether we're in sales, whether we're an athlete, whether we're a coach. Whatever we are, we see ourselves as that instead of someone who coaches this sport, who plays this sport, who sells software. How do we shift our identities out of what we do to more intrinsically who we are? Because I think that's a key component to failing better because you stop associating yourself with the event and start associating, okay, I didn't do that thing as well. What can I learn and how can I do better? Definitely. And you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm reminded of Brene Brown's work on shame versus guilt and this, and this vulnerability. And you're right that when our inner critic run, runs wild, often it's because we take that little mistake and we say it's about our whole identity and us as a person and us as an athlete. And that's, it's not helpful. An athlete transition out of sport, right? If your whole identity is wrapped up in being an athlete, then struggle when there's injuries or you graduate yep. or what have you. So when we think of this mindfulness and acknowledgement piece, keeping perspective is really important. You are not your performance. It's separate. You have value just because you are you. <laughs> and separating that and disentangling it is going to be extremely helpful to give you more of that objective perspective so that when you're making adjustments, instead of saying, I am a terrible shooter just because I'm missing some shots, I can shift it to say, I'm missing some shots. So I think the biggest switch is catching the I am statements. I am an idiot. I am a bad athlete, whatever, and shifting it to behavior and actions and things you can change. So I'm not shooting that well right now. That's an easy thing to fix. Go get some more shots up, you know? Uh, if it's I am dumb, which is often my, my go-to, I'm not good enough, then that's hard to just change because you're trying to change it by your performance, getting value by your performance instead of you have value just because. And I would also imagine in the heat of the moment, being aware of those I am and even shifting from an I am to an I can't. So say you're having an off night shooting. 
uh, instead of I suck, I, I am terrible. I can't play. You, you focus to, I can still hustle. I can still play defense. Who can I set up? That's hot. Like you start shifting that focus off of me onto the team. And even in a sense of like sales side, like you bomb a month instead of, man, I suck. I'm terrible. I'm no good at sales. What can I still do? Well, I can put in the extra work, practice the script, get coaching, all of those pieces. So I think that's vitally important. I think the huge piece in disconnecting the I am um, really helps us as well as identifying what can we do next and now that's in our control. And it's just going from that attitude that, you know, fixed mindset, growth mindset. I am this way. We're changing our language to I can actually grow and develop to build those skills. So, man, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you letting me just pepper you with some questions today. I know I didn't give you any kind of heads up uh, on what we were going to talk about. Um, I'm curious what, obviously, I think I know what the answer is, but what has you most excited this year? I think you're wrapping up a doctorate pretty soon. Yes, definitely. I have been waiting, like, honestly, ever since I told you I was a junior, sophomore, maybe in, in college when I had that mental shift. And I knew from that moment, I wanted to be doing this right now. So to be able to work with teams, to see the shifts in performance and their attitudes and their belief in, in themselves is all that I've wanted. And so I feel like I'm living the dream and I'm, I'm very, very excited to wrap up and get, get the letters behind the name. <laughs> um, because this, I think this work is so important and I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm just grateful to be where I'm at. Um, it's, it's been a long road. So let's, so let me ask you on that note, give me a snapshot of the type of individuals or teams you're working with right now. So for anyone listening that is in the sport, plays a sport, has a kid that's in that sport, who are really the people that y'all are focused on right at this time? Yeah. So, I mean, my background is, is in basketball mostly and softball, but I've worked with golfers I've worked with track I've worked with volleyball so I've worked with lots of different sports and the thing about this is failure and mistakes are part of any sport so uh yeah I'm great to work with anyone team or individual sport Lonnie has you know background in volleyball basketball track Danae has some it's soccer is her main thing so we can work with anyone <laughs> um but, you know, basketball, I obviously have the most knowledge and, and skill set there in terms of the coaching and playing. So is there an age range that's kind of best in y'all's wheelhouse? I I would say probably like high school, college. But okay. even when I say high school, I know there's some youth athletes that they're ready to compete. And so it's really and Lonnie can work with youth athletes, too. So for me, I would say, honestly, it could be even 12 12 and up just depends on their emotional maturity, probably. That's what I say, which, uh, you know, for some people in their twenties and thirties still not developed yet. Right. (laughs) But that's, that's why we do the podcast. That's why we do the work to help people build that maturity, build that self-awareness and most of all, learn how to fail better. Where is the best place for people to follow along or even just check out your work to learn more? Yeah. So website, failbettertraining.com. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We also have a page there. Fail Better Training is our is our uh, handle on all those places. So happy to reach out, contact us through the website. We'd love to hear from you. Love it. Love it. Ashley, thank you so incredibly much for hanging on the show this week. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit CompeteEveryday.com.